hands, and if that didn't light your fire, your wood is wet. <laughs> we, we go so many different places during this Christmas season, and we get excited about lights, and we get excited. My wife said to me that night, she said, I just want you to take me somewhere where I can see Christmas lights. I said, sweetheart, will that, will that excite you? Well, I just want to get in the mood of Christmas. I said, well, let me get my Bible. She said, oh, stop being a preacher. <laughs> I said, that lights are not Christmas, sweetheart. And I, I know what she's saying. I, I understand that. And there's nothing wrong with the lights. I love, I told you last week, I love the lights. I love the trees. I, I like everything pretty much about Christmas except malls and cyber shopping and all that, but I, I like everything about Christmas, but if we miss the simplicity of this message, the Christmas message, we have missed it, ladies and gentlemen. And so don't, so many of you, some of you said to me this morning, I thank you for the message last week, and I'm just happy that you could remember what I talked about last week. Sometimes I can't remember what I talked about last week. But I'm so glad that you decided to give grace gifts this week. And I pray that even some of those gifts will be manifest. We'll see those. If you have your Bibles this morning, let's turn to Luke chapter 2. And, and I was grateful this morning to uh, have the privilege and the honor to meet uh, two of our retired missionaries, Larry and Peggy Wakefield. They're IMB retired missionaries uh, uh, from Mexico, and they live here in Bradenton. They're visiting with us today, and I, I think it's pretty significant that as we receive the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, all my life I've heard about Lottie Moon. I remember one time a lady came up to me and said, when are we ever going to get that woman paid off? <laughs> I said, we're not, because we have been uh, on mission for a long, long time as Southern Baptist, and we believe that the gospel needs to reach. And this is this this offering that we're taking this month goes completely for international missions. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of that. But Larry and Peggy, we're glad that you're here today. And if you get a chance, uh, make sure and meet them. Let's stand together and honor the reading of God's word, Luke chapter two, and verse twenty-one. It's a story of Simeon. And as, as we continue in this message series, a gift today worth receiving. I'm not going to read all of the verses in this story. I'm going to only read about four of them right now. And then I want to give you an introduction and walk through this passage this morning, if, if, if you'll allow me to do that. At the end, and at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. That was the name that the angel said to Mary. You shall call his name Jesus. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A, a, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man 
was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Let's pray. Father, I pray in the next few moments that you would just enable us to stop all of the motion, all of the thoughts that we have in the busyness of this time of the year, and you would allow us to pause and think about a gift worth receiving. Lord, use the example of Simeon today in our lives. Some of us today walked into this room with heavy hearts, burdens, concerns, challenges, physical challenges, financial challenges, family challenges, all sorts of challenges in front of us. But I pray today that we would see through this example of this man that Jesus can be and should be our all in all and he is a gift worth receiving. I pray today that you'll allow us to just give enough biblical background here to be able to understand this passage and understand this character that you bring to light to us today. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. I want you, before you sit down, I want you to look at your neighbor and tell them, you really look good this morning. All right. Now, some of you, oh, wow, I started something. Some of you looked at 12 people and said that. Didn't that feel good, though? Yeah, it felt good. It felt good. Whether it was true or not, it felt good. No, I'm joking with you. I, I want us to understand the setting of this story. I, I tell you, th this message, this message, if you really understand the significance of Simeon and what is happening, uh, this will give you a different perspective. Now, every Jewish male went through three basic ancient-type ceremonies, of which Jesus did also. And, and in this story of Jesus going through a, a, a couple of these ceremonies, let me give you the three. The first one was this, and, and you'll see this in the Scripture. Obviously, every Jewish male was to be circumcised. And so circumcision, the rite, was so sacred, so important in Jewish tradition that they had even... If that eighth day fell on the Sabbath, they would circumcise that male on the Sabbath. And of course, the Jewish people did, did no work unnecessarily on the Sabbath. But if that eighth day of the birth of that male, that Jewish boy, was on the Sabbath day, they would even circumcise on that day. This was a very, very important rite in the Jewish tradition. And so when it speaks concerning, and if you look at verse 21, when it talked about his circumcision, our Lord's circumcision, it said that his name was then called Jesus. It was on the eighth day, the male would be officially named, and we think officially naming the male child, at least I do, in the hospital. Our, our firstborn was a, a little girl. But I can remember before we ever left the hospital, in fact, before we ever got to the hospital, we knew the name of that child. Whether it was boy or girl, we knew the name. 
These people that wait, you know, to name their children after they're 30 days old, I, I don't understand the logic in that. What do you call it when it gets home? It? I mean, we knew that Laura was going to be Laura. We knew her middle name. In fact, immediately, I mean, this girl knew her name before she was ever born. I read the New Testament to her probably three times before the kid. The kid had more gospel before she was ever born. I would, I would lay and, and just read the scripture. It was, it was a wonderful thing. I did that with, with, with all of our children. But we think of naming a child. Well, they did not name the child until the eighth day. And so on the eighth day, when Jesus was circumcised as a Jewish male, his name officially was Jesus. I want you to say that name with me. Jesus. Say it again. Jesus. There's power in that name. There's strength in that name. Now, we know that this name was the name given to Mary way before the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ because he was to save the world from their sins. But on the eighth day, Christ was officially named Jesus. That's the first rite that every Jewish male went through. The second rite was redemption of the firstborn. And let me explain what that means. It's speaking here again of the male child. And the firstborn male of every family was a very, very special kind of event because in Exodus it tells us that the firstborn male belonged to God. We think of dedicating our children, and we've dedicated all, all five of our children to God. We think of bringing them to the altar. We think of the pastor praying, and we understand it is not, it is not their salvation experience. There's nothing really that they will ever remember about that because they're usually tiny and they're, they're, they're burping and they're, they're making eyes and goo-goo at everybody and everybody's looking at the baby, but really it's for the mom and dad to say we're offering this wonderful gift that you have given us back to you. We think about dedication, but the firstborn male, it was already accepted in Jewish tradition that that male was God's. And what happened was the parents would come to the temple, and this was always to be done, not before the 31st day after their birth. And so there was literally a month to pass before this event was to occur. They would come to the temple, and they would literally give an offering to the priest, and in that offering, they would symbolically by, be purchasing that child back into their family. That's, exa that's exactly, ladies and gentlemen, what they did with Jesus. They were coming to the temple to do one of these two things. They were coming to the temple to purchase back Jesus, the firstborn male in the family, and they were purchasing him back. It was a fact that the earliest male belonged to God, and the parents would come back and through a very small offering, not a large offering, a small offering would symbolize the purchase back of that son into their family. The third rite was the purification after childbirth. Now this is what Mary was doing in the temple when she came to Simeon. And when Joseph and Simeon brought Jesus to the temple, they were going through what was called the purification ceremony. 
Now, the purification ceremony was that after 40 days, the mother of a male child for 40 days could, do, could not do anything that would be in the temple or anything of a religious nature at all. In fact, the mother would just basically stay at home. But on the 40th day, the mother would come to the temple if it, if it was a male child. Now, if it was a female child, it would have to be 80 days. Says something about Jewish society, probably in their traditions. Um, it took twice as long to be purified if you had a girl rather than a boy. Uh, but after 40 days, I don't make any comments now. Don't, don't shoot me either. I'm giving you Jewish tradition, okay? But after 40 days, the mother would come, and when the mother would come, she would bring two types of symbolic offerings. Truthfully, one was for a burn offering and one was for a sin offering. It gets, it gets a little Old Testament-y in this, in this area. And, and I won't get into all of that. It's not necessary for you, but they would bring a lamb and a young pigeon or a young dove. Now, there, there was known in the Old Testament uh, what was known as a poor offering. Many of the people were so poor that they couldn't afford a lamb. And so if they were that poor, they would bring like two pigeons or two doves. And that's what Mary did. Mary brought a poor offering. Her and Joseph had no money. And so therefore, when they came to the temple and they brought Jesus to Simeon, it was the purification of Mary that they were bringing Jesus into the temple and they were bringing two doves with them. I just felt like it was important for you to understand that history and that understanding of Jewish tradition and background. And now we come to this remarkable character whose name is Simeon. Man, when I look at him and his interaction with the Lord, it absolutely encourages me and excites me to share this message this morning. The first thing I want you to understand and know that according to the scripture, and, and there, are, there are five or six observations I wanna give you here, but the gift of Jesus to the world as a gift that is not only worth waiting for, but it is a gift worth receiving. The first thing I wanna share with you is this. Those who look for Jesus, they will find him. They always do. The first observation when you look at Simeon in verse 25 is this, that he was looking for the Lord. Whether, whether it's in the day of the birth of Jesus in Simeon's life or whether it's 2,000 years ago at First Bradenton, whether or not on a December morning, those who look for Jesus will find him. Look at verse 25 with me. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. Now notice the next word. Looking for the constellation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. The word looking there is an interesting word. In the language, the word looking there means looking with intent to find what you're looking for. It is not a casual observance. It is a very intentional gaze 
you are looking. In fact, I would call it more of a stare. You're looking very specifically. It's not scanning the room. It's not just kind of your perspective thinking that you might see something come within your eyesight. The word looking means that Simeon was intent. He was intent. It was as if he was on a search looking for the Christ child. Well, all I'm saying is that my first observation about Simeon is he saw Jesus because he was looking for Jesus. We see what we look for. I'm here to tell you this morning, ladies and gentlemen, if you're looking for God, you're going to find him. That's the great news this morning. If you came here to find God, he is here. He can and will be found if you're looking for. He's so observant to the searching heart, to the searching mind. That is why, by the way, two people can be in the same service the same Sunday morning, hear the same message, and one can walk out and say, oh man, that was fantastic. God ministered to my heart today. It was so good. And the other person can say, I didn't even sense God there. What is it? One was looking and one wasn't. I, I have to admit to you, I'm a people watcher. I, I, a lot of times, will go to the mall or go to Walmart with my wife. Walmart is not a fun place. <laughs> it is not fun at all. And listen, I don't know if you've ever been to the Venice Walmart, but there is something that happens every November. And I'm not going to blame snowbirds on it, but it has a lot to do with them. But our population quadruples in Venice. We go from 25, 30,000 to over 100,000 people. Yeah, that's what I said. I mean, I, I figured out that if you want to go in Walmart during the season, you go through the plant section, the kind of back door, and you go out that back door because if you go in the front door, you're going to be there for a while. But, but Jennifer yesterday said to me, would you want to take me to Walmart? And I said, no. I said, sure, sweetheart, you want to go to Walmart? Yeah, because I don't want to have to worry about parking my car. Well, that's like saying, I want you to park your truck. I mean, I, but it's okay. And I decided I'm going to be a really good husband. I'm going to go in with her. Now, I'm not going to hang out with her, but I'm going to go in with her, okay? Because I'm not going to hang out where she hangs out. I, I like to go to the sporting goods and the automotive and that kind of area. And she hangs out in food and pharmacy. And I, ugh, I, I don't. But it was so funny because right in the middle of, of, of while I'm hanging out and I actually sat down on a bench and I was watching people, I get this text on my phone saying, Walmart has a prescription ready for you. I'm sitting right there. They knew I was there. Big Brother's watching, you know. And I'm watching these people, and people are so funny this time of the year. They're, they're funny all the time. I always find things that are, are extremely funny. But I mean, I, the, this lady, and, and she had, I, I think it was three or four children, and I, I assume it was her husband with her. And man, they were, they were loud, and, and the kids were, I want this, and I want that. And, you know, every kid wants what, you know, this time of the year. And, and, and I was just watching how she answered back, and then how she answered back to her husband. And I said, dear God. God, I'm thankful that I'm not married to her. And it, it, was, it was crazy. And I get this text. And so I, I go over, and there's, there's Jennifer, and she's standing in line. And I, I said, hey, would you mind? I just got this text. And she said, yeah, I'll get it for you. 
Well, it was the prep for my up-and-coming colonoscopy. That'll bless you at Christmas. She's carrying this jug of stuff out to me, and, you know, I'm going, oh, why don't you continue to carry that? I don't want them to think that's for me. And she said, here, you know. We're standing there. We're standing there, and this guy comes up to me, and he says, you're Alan Spear. I said, yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> I said, yes, I am. He said, I know you. And I said, well, okay. And, you know, we're, we're trying to kind of get out of line. When somebody comes up to you and calls you and it says, you're Alan Spear, it's, it's like a question. Are you or are you not? You know. But we walked over, and he said, I heard you speak three years ago, and he named the church. And he said, I have been trying to get in touch with you. And I'm thinking, man, I am easily accessible. You call the hangar, you call my cell phone, you, you know. And I, he said, I heard you speak. And he said, I've been talking to my wife. I have not gotten away from that message. And he said, I am not a Christian. Ladies and gentlemen, it floored me in all places. Walmart. It floored me. And we're walking. I'm trying to get him out of the pharmaceuticals so we could go over to the sports, sporting goods or something, you know, and find someplace to kneel or someplace to pray. And we finally got out in the, the flower section where they sell it. And, and we were talking. And we stood there and talked for, I don't know, 30 or 40 minutes. And finally I said, would you, would you like to receive Christ? He said, at Walmart. I said, why not? And there... In Walmart. I've never led anybody to Christ at Walmart. In Walmart, he prayed to receive Christ. If you look for Jesus, wherever you're at, Simeon shows us that you will find him. Now, I, I wrote down some reasons why probably, because we, we know the story. We know, you know, Compare Simeon's intentional looking and searching to God. Compare that with Bethlehem's story when the Christ child was to be born. And I, I wrote down some reasons why probably they had no room in the end for Jesus when he came to Bethlehem. And, and the first reason is busyness. How many of you are busy right now? Yeah, it's crazy. It's the busiest time of the year. I mean, we, we, everybody is. And think about it. In Bethlehem, everyone was rushing. Everybody was running around. There was a census to be taken. There was this sense of, I've got to get this thing done as, as quickly as possible. Anybody relate to that? And all I'm saying to you, it, it's such a temptation at Christmas time. Just busy, 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 busy. Even somebody that's doing the Lord's work, busyness. So busy, maybe even the things of God that we really don't look and see him and sense him like we could have. We get so busy. There's a second, you know, there's a second reason. Busyness, just so tired, so busy that we don't see Jesus. Just so tired in the busyness that we don't take time to look intently for his presence. Another thing is the preoccupation. They were just so preoccupied with so many other things. Man, if that innkeeper would have known that Mary was pregnant with the Christ child, I promise you he would have found a room. 
I guarantee you that he would have realized that if this is the Christ child, that man, this baby's going to be born. I promise you, if nothing else, he would have moved his whole family out preoccupation. We get so caught up in all the stuff. I wonder how many times I have done that with Jesus. Just kind of flipped up a no vacancy sign, not because we didn't, we didn't have to, but because we didn't have time for him. It's just that it wasn't convenient at the time to spend that time with him. And then I think the other reason was there was no expectation. Wow. Simeon, who expected to see the Christ child, who looked for his coming. At Bethlehem, there was no expectation. Have you ever met someone whose expector has expired? I mean, I, I run into people all the time. Oh, nothing good is going to happen. I, I call them Eeyores because they have the Eeyore syndrome. Oh, man. The sky is falling. Or they've gotten to that point in their lives where they just don't think there's anything else exciting and worth living for. I pray to God I never get there. I, I want to always be growing in the Lord. I always want to be experiencing something. I, don't, I, I want to say to you this morning that if you think somehow that you have arrived in your spiritual maturity, you are sadly mistaken. God's still working on me. God's still working on you if you will let him. Listen, I know that oftentimes we, and, and the older I get, the more I understand this. I, I remember when I thought, my dad, man, dad, you are so stuck in your, in your age and in your culture. And Man, every once in a while, my kids say, dad, you are so stuck in your culture. And your age. I, my son was home this weekend and he said, Dad, he said, I, I hope that you will be flexible in your old years. I said, Pardon me? <laughs> he said, Dad, there's so much to experience. I'm so, I'm so grateful for our, all of our kids, but our, our youngest son, he's leading worship right now in, in Fort Myers. He, he's probably done by now, but, 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 he was telling me what he was going to sing this morning and what he led his team and practiced his team to do. And I, I sat there and just listened. And, and we talked and we've talked about things. We talked about, you know, where we are now in, in almost 2020. That's, that's hard to say, ladies and gentlemen. I'm 62 years old. I can remember when I thought that was ancient. Now I think it's really youthful, very young. Some of you are smiling at me saying, it is. <laughs> you see, oftentimes we lose our expectations. Church, let me tell you something. God is not finished with this church. Don't lose hope. Don't lose sight. Don't lose the excitement that God is on the move at First Baptist Church. You say, but pastor, we have all kinds of challenges. Praise him. We're going to have to learn to depend on him. Some of you have been depending on yourself. Some of you have been depending on each other. There's nothing wrong with depending on each other and having those things. But listen, our 
soul dependency needs to be on the one who is worthy of that, the one who can handle every situation whose name is Jesus. And so, I want to tell you something. God came wrapped up in an ordinary box. What was it in South Africa? There was a South African who discovered one of the world's largest diamonds. It was the size of a small lemon. Ladies, wouldn't you like that on your hand? And he wanted to get it to the London office as safely and as quickly as possible. So he put it in a steel box and he hired four men to carry it to London. And when it arrived, they unlocked the steel box and much to their surprise, there wasn't a diamond in it. It was a lump of coal. And they were shocked and they didn't know what to do. Three days later, by parcel post in an ordinary box, the diamond was sent to the London office and they discovered, and the owner of that diamond, you know what he thought? He thought nobody will pay attention to an ordinary box. And that's how he sent it. 2,000 years ago, God came wrapped up in an ordinary box. How significant. And Simeon saw him. You say, how can you see the Christ child in an ordinary box? Very simple. You've got to be looking for him. That, my friends, is why the good news this morning, this good news of the Christmas season, is if you're looking for God today, you're going to find him. Because his name is Jesus. You see... Let me just illustrate it. I want you to look around the congregation. Just look around. Look at each other. I want you to find, I want you to find the color of red. Okay? Find the color of red. I see the color of red. Find the color of red. You see it? You got it? You know why you found the color of red? Because you were looking for it. I want to I just very simply, you focused in on red. Why is it that when we buy a car or a special car at a special price, a special color, and the next day we see a half a dozen of them out there on the freeway? We didn't see that color before. What happens? Well, they were out there on the freeway. Sure, they were all the time, and all of a sudden we're in tune. Usually, we, we begin to visually see. That is exactly what happened to Simeon. Now, two lessons at looking in Simeon's life, and then I'll pack up the rest of this wagon this morning. Look through the eyes of faith, not through the eyes of fact. Simeon looked through the eyes of faith. There are two kinds of people. There's the kind of person that says, I've got to see it to believe it. They live by fact. And then there's that person that says, I've got to believe it to see it. And they live by faith. And then the most important one, keep looking even through discouragement. What impresses me the most about Simeon is that he kept on looking even when he was discouraged. Now, when I say discouraged, you see, for 400 years, there had been no prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah. There had been 400 years of silence. And yet, Simeon kept saying, I'm going to see the Messiah, the Christ child, before I die. Number two, the second observation that Simeon is that many times the assurance comes before the answer. 
Wow, I like that. Because there are times when we know something's going to happen before we really receive the answer in our life. Look at verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Have you ever had the assurance that something was going to happen before it happened? Have you ever just known that even though you couldn't prove it yet, you just knew that something was going to transpire, something was going to happen in your life? I've had that happen many, many times. Assurance. Some of you that are seeking this morning, even though you're not found him inwardly, you know your time is near. You're about to discover at Christmas time all about God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, he came to the right place to find him. Look at verse 27. Simeon, and it says there in verse 27, and he came in the spirit into the temple. Two significant things, real quickly. He came with the right heart, and he came with the right mind. He came in the spirit and he came to the right place in the temple. Now, you put those two things together. You come to church with the right attitude and the right spirit and the right mind. If you come to church with those things, you are going to experience God. Stop setting up all of these little, little things that don't really matter. You know, I, I've had people say to me before, I, you know, Pastor, I just can't, I can't experience God anymore because that, those are not the songs I used to sing. Uh-oh, there was rumbling going on right then. I, I can't experience God without a piano and an organ. I can't experience God without this or that. And do you see what you're doing? You're putting the parameters on God when God says, listen. I want you to experience me. I, I, listen, folks, I, I did a silent Lord's Supper service, completely silent one time, and I had people, I had folks on my own staff who said, you have lost your mind, Alan. How are people going to know when to receive the elements? I said, they'll know. They'll understand it. And it was one of the most, it was one of the most beloved services. It was one of those services that they said, can we do that again? Over and over and over again. And there was not a word spoken in the service. Some of you would really like that. But it was so meaningful. Listen, here's my point. It's real simple. When you come, when you come to church, come with the right heart, come with the right mind. You say, but pastor, I, I, I don't always understand or know or I, I, I don't. Listen, come saying, Lord Jesus, here I am. Do with me as you will. Right spirit, right heart, right mind. Listen, I wrote down these things in my notes. And, and, and as I was talking to Jennifer yesterday and even this morning when we got up, I, I said to her, sweetheart, do you know that the church exists for the Father? This, the body of Christ exists for the Father. That's why it's, the church is a worship center. We come to worship him. We come to lift him up, to sing his praises. That's part of us. We are a part of the worship center. So we come because it exists for the Father. But secondly, the church exists for each other, 
for you and for me. And in that regard, we are a nurturing center. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I love you. We, we come here, listen, we come here to encourage each other. We come here to say, I love you. I love you. We come here to wrap our arms around each other, ladies and gentlemen, to say, listen, whatever you are going through, I'm going to walk through it with you. We're a nurturing center. But the church exists not only to be a worship center and a nurturing center. Listen, listen. when I look at this, it exists for the world because it is a redemptive center. Ladies and gentlemen, it must be a place where people can be redeemed and forgiven and brought into the family of God. Where in the world have we gotten the idea that the church is for me? You you won't find that in the scripture. You'll find it's for us. But get your eye out of that. Serve. Nurture, worship, redeem. All I'm saying here, First Bradenton, you are a special place where we seek God. And folks, I want to say this and then I'll move on, but I want you to know this. I, what I desire for this church more than anything else, I, I don't desire, you've you got wonderful buildings, you've got great facilities I don't, I don't desire a, a, a new building for you. I don't desire, all I desire is for us to be the people of God that would worship where people who are either hurting or looking or searching like Simeon can walk into this church and they can feel God and they can see God and they can find God, amen? That's what I want. And if that can happen, that's all we need. Number four, Simeon personally received Jesus. Can you imagine that feeling in Simeon's spirit in verse 28 when he took the Christ child in his arms and he blessed God? Can you imagine that amazing feeling? He personally received the Christ child. Let me just stop here long enough to say this, my goal for every person in this room this Christmas is for you to know God personally. Not know God through your parents. Not know God because you affiliate and associate with Christians. Not even know God because you come to this church. I'm not talking about knowing God kind of by proxy. I'm talking about knowing God Personally, every one of you, my goal is that you could know God and you could say, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know when, when Pastor Doug and the worship team sing about the risen Savior, I know him because he is risen in my life. He is alive. I'm not talking about you know, knowing your pastor's God or your, your mom and dad's, not my husband's, not my wife's. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, that I'm talking about. And I want to know him. And then lastly, when you receive Jesus like Simeon, and this is something my wife said to me this morning. She said, don't say you're ready to die. I'm going to go ahead and say it. You're ready to die. She said, tell them you're prepared to die. 
She said, that's a little softer, Alan. I'm not saying let's hop on the bus right now. But you get my point. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm ready to die. I'm prepared to die. If, if I die this moment, and I'm not planning on it, I'm ready to see the Lord. Wow. Let me tell you, you can walk in confidence when you're prepared to die. If you're not prepared to die, and so many people are not, I can't imagine trying to live this life knowing what's ahead. I'm one of those old-fashioned Southern Baptists that believe there's heaven and there's hell. Jesus talked a lot more about hell, and I know, I know some of you get to squirming saying, oh man, you're going to run people away from our church. No, I'm not. I'm going to tell you the truth. You see, when Simeon held the Christ child. His eyes saw the Christ child. He knew him personally. He said, now I'm ready to die. The only way you can be prepared to die is not to have your 401k in line. It's not to have your funeral plans made. All of those things. I was talking to someone before the service about cremation or burial. We were talking about this, that, and the other, and various things because you know, since we've lived down here, I know that a lot of people are cremated. Listen, the Bible says it doesn't say that only the buried in Christ shall rise. It says the dead in Christ shall rise. Okay? That's just the body. That's just the, the in, in a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, it will be changed in the likeness of the Lord anyway. But listen to me. When you receive Jesus, like Simeon, you're prepared. You're ready to die. I am convinced with all my heart that the most important message that I can share with you this Christmas season, the greatest gift of all, is to share with you the simple but truthful and powerful gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus came wrapped up in an ordinary box, born of a virgin, born to a young teenage girl, his father, his earthly father, his name was Joseph. When we think about this story and the impossibilities of it, Jesus came, the Bible says, to seek and to save that which was lost. 2,000 years ago plus, that message and that story is even more powerful than it was then. Hundreds, literally millions of lives have received Christ Jesus just like Simeon and come to know him personally. And the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. That today, if you came looking, if you came searching, if you came in need of a Savior, guess what? That Savior is Christ Jesus the Lord. And He is with us. He is Emmanuel. He is right here. And He desires to know you personally. He wants to know you. He already knows you by name. And He died for you. But not only did he die for you, he rose again so that you could be justified and so that you could understand the forgiveness and be freed, liberated from sin that had held you captive. 
That's the good news, the gospel of Jesus. And so today, if you walked in these doors looking, open your eyes. He's here, and he wants to meet you personally. Bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Nobody looking around. I know I've asked you to look for him, but I want you just to think for just a moment now. And I'm going to ask this morning that everyone, the worship team is coming to lead us. I'm going to ask for you in the congregation, if you will, just to remain in this spirit of prayer for these who this morning are going to go looking. They have come to find the Savior. And today, I pray that many of them will come and say to Frank or to John or to myself, I want to know this Jesus. Like Simeon, I want to know him personally. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one's looking around in the quietness and the stillness of this moment. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to ask you to come. Come to this altar. I'm going to ask you to come this morning if you need to find Jesus, if you need to trust him alone for your salvation. I'm going to ask you to come this morning if you know Christ, but you're praying for someone in your immediate circle, in your family, in your friends, in your work acquaintances, if you're praying for someone, if you're praying for that one, I'm going to ask you to come and kneel in this altar and just pray for that person. But if today you came searching, looking for Jesus, I'm going to ask you to come and find him because he's here and he's looking for you. He wants to know you. Let's stand together. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. No one's looking around. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that this message and now this invitation would be covered by your spirit. And those who are searching for you would come and say, even like Simeon, I've seen the Lord. And now I'm prepared. I pray today that there will be forgiveness there will be repentance and trusting in Christ alone for salvation. I pray for others to come and kneel in this altar and be praying for people that they want to see impacted with the gospel for Christ's glory. I pray this. Amen. As we sing, I'm going to ask you to come. Even as, as the music has already started, I'm going to ask you to come and kneel here begin to pray for people. And then I'm going to ask you to come. If you're looking for Jesus, I'm going to ask you to come to one of these gentlemen and say, I need Jesus. Would you come right now, right now, right now?